If you look at a continuum of couples and you have couples who thrive and couples who die and you put them on the continuum, what we find is that all of them have about 10 irresolvable issues. They're different. Money, sex, kids, animals, housework. What's different about the people who thrive and the people who, whose relationships die is how they manage the conflict. You're listening to Buy the Good News, Episode 94, The Guardian, a Beacon Series conversation featuring Linda Carroll, author of Love Skills, The Key to Unlocking Lasting Wholehearted Love, published by New World Library. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. I think it would be fair to say that generally, life is about relationship. We're in some type of relationship from the day we are conceived. Our first relationship is to our mother, then those that raise us, extended family, perhaps our classmates, teachers, and friends. Depending on our growing awareness, perhaps we're able to perceive the textured nuances of each of these connections, and further still, how the synergy is affected through our circumstantial relationship to culture, community, and environment. For many, there comes a point where a devoted, intentional bond is made with another human being, and the factors that draw them together are manifold. I would call this a bond of love, a sacred partnership. If nurtured, it can grow far beyond the early entanglements that cause the initial attraction. This sounds wonderful, and it can be, yet many relationships still fail and we're left wondering what we could have done differently and how we can use more skillful means with others in the future. Linda Carroll, author of Love Skills, The Keys to Unlocking Lasting Wholehearted Love, presents a resource to do just that. Linda's book was a walk down memory lane for me, stopping to examine where I've been, the choices I've made, the why behind the things I've done when in relationships. It helped put fresh eyes on present relationships and how past patterns and experiences could be affecting intimacy, for better or for worse, revealing specific actions I can take to better the quality of my existing relationships. My conversation with Linda was pleasant and personal, and she is clearly an observant, thoughtful listener with deep insights on human compassion and love. There is no doubt in my mind that she genuinely wants people to have healthier and deeper relationships. Considering the complexities caused by extreme distancing, proximity, or isolation many may feel during the times we live in, perhaps there is no better time for a book like Love Skills to come along. Now, it's time to tune your attention to this good news beacon and press play on a little good news. It's morning, dreaming up the story I can hear The way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep On the path to your deliverance in a holy ball of light Old news, bad news, fake news Sometimes you want to shut those signals down and seek a better source. With my Find the Good News Beacon series, I tune into good people doing good works wherever I can find them. I scan across the full spectrum of life, seeking out human beings that have turned their dials towards helping others, aligning their time, resources, and talents with goodness, justice, mercy, and love. In each episode, I sync up with the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have dynamic conversations that invigorate the mind long after our transmission has ended. I discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that have anchored them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of background noise in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm cutting through the static to find the good. give us a little introduction that would be fantastic so i've been a psychotherapist for almost for 38 years i'm a life coach a writer i have and the two books on relationships are love cycles and love skills my recent book um and i do a lot of work with people all over the country i also have a uh, nonprofit that i started with folk singer peter yarrow 
And we work in the borderlands. We work with migrants who are in shelters who are stuck on the other side of the border. And so I, someone, someone just asked me how I was. And I had just had some great news about some of the projects we're doing there. And I said, I'm so glad that I'm doing that right now because there's so much mess in the world. And yet I have, I can see magical and amazing things happen all the time from the just one at a time work. So I have met, I um, have been married for 35 years. Um, my, I, I say that's my greatest work in learning the love skills. We have a wonderful dog and between us, we have eight kids wow. all over New York, New yeah. Zealand, lots of grandkids. So, and we, we love our kids and our grandkids. We're really in that. Um, just, just very, we just feel very grateful for them. So I have, um, I live in Oregon, which is very beautiful out today. And I do a lot of interviews. I do a lot of interviews about love, relationships, <laughs> and recently about what's going on on the border. So I'm happy to be here. That's actually a nice surprise, to be honest with you. That That's a subject that I feel strongly about. And I didn't realize that you did that kind of work, that you were doing work with people across the border yeah. like that. So, I mean, yes. maybe maybe we should just yeah. dive in from there and we'll segue into the other things, because I I'd actually like to see if maybe we could build a bridge in our conversation between some of the principles in love works and love cycles. And your well, they're work. actually we're having a film made some um, we had somebody donated some money to have a, a, a video made about or a small film made about our um, our project. And Peter knew a woman, a great, um, really great filmmaker named, I'll give her your name in a minute. But anyway, she got so excited about it. And, um, and she was, she was just Julie Thompson. She is the, one of the people who did the film Nebraska. She is so excited about what we're doing and how it just started from an ordinary person having an experience who happened to be me with an 11 year old girl at a migrant shelter. Really? And, um, I had been like so many people, I was just overwhelmed with the pages of photographs that came in every magazine, online, newspaper, TV of all the migrant immigrants and the people who are running from so many different things all over the world, you know, war and poverty and climate change, all of that. And I would see these faces and I would feel like, oh, it's so awful and turn the page because there was nothing I could do. Sure. But I met a girl. I met one person and the and the foundation is called Just One Story at a Time. I met a girl at a shelter in Tijuana and it absolutely upended me and changed my life. And I realized that for for me, I'm not a political person. I can't do anything to save the world, but I could do something to help this one girl. Mm. And from that, we began to find these incredible things that are going on at the border and we started to support them and you know, I never knew what the word going viral meant really until this, but it seemed that the that, that the work we were doing touched people's hearts. Peter did concerts. He did lots of concerts. He did one online about three weeks ago for us. Um, and between all of the, uh, and we have a great, great board members, between all of that, somehow this took off and we're keeping nine shelters going through the pandemic and dogs we also we bring food for the street dogs um nine shelters going and we support tremendous stories tremendous things that are happening and i'd love to get into some of the things people are doing yes. there that are amazing um so we're supporting and, and the foundation is growing all the time this film is julie has, thompson has taken this film on and said i believe in this let's really go for it so she's gonna interview how it's us how it started go to the borders, interview people that were that we've been such a part of of supporting and helping them in their struggles. And uh, so that's happening right now. So that's all a part of love skills is knowing our impact and feeling like we're in right relationship with work and with life. 
I love everything you're saying right now. Okay. That's, that's getting right into the territory that I think is the highest value. And I say this all the time. And honestly, it's a part of why I wanted to start having these conversations and create some sort of signal out in the world where people could just find stories like this, because look to me, you're, you're talking about the great gift. One, you're, you're hitting on a subject that I think is so critical is that personal transformation and where you can, an individual can change your life. I mean, you have this experience with this little girl and, and as you stated, how many people have that story that you just said, where you look at the look around the world and maybe your heart aches, but you go, what can I do? It's this great chasm of suffering. And I'm, you know, the name of the show is find the good news. And so sometimes I'm, I'm guilty of, of talking a lot about some of these sufferings and ail, ailments in the world. But I actually truly believe that we have to look at them, but the real beauty is coming back and healing them. That's the whole part of that cycle being in right relationship with them. And you're expressing that. I mean, you look at that, you look at the suffering and you say, what can I do? What can I do? And then as so many people, I've heard so many people say this directly to my face. They'll say, I can't think about that. That's that's the, yeah. the mantra. Yes. I can't think yeah. about that because if yeah. I start to think about that, I will, I'll, I'll lose it. I'll be so yes. depressed, right? Yes, yes. And so this girl comes into your life, <laughs> and I don't know the story to that yet, and I hope you'll tell me some of it, but... Yeah. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, this is the magic, right? I can do this thing right here and I might as well be doing it for every being in the universe right now because I'm doing it for this one person and your heart is just so open in that moment. It's so transformative. I love stories like that. I mean, to me, those are the ones that I've been looking for my whole life because they keep me motivated when I get in the dark cave, you know, and look in that. Because we can all do something. We can just do one at a time. I mean, some people can do a big bunch at a time, but that's not me. I and I think people who have, you know, are policymakers, um, and and people who are who, who see the world in a great big context. But that's not how I do it. I work with one couple at a time, one family at a time, one client is at a time, and I can't. And when I um, so this, you want to hear about the girl? Uh, I do. I, 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 that's I, that. Yeah. Now I'm so excited. I can feel my, uh, into that. I'm getting flushed. <laughs> so. It's really, it's quite, well, it's both a happy story. I mean, I, I ha, it's both good news. It's also sad news about, about it in a certain, in a certain way. But, um, it was, it, um, it was an extraordinary moment. I was at, I work at a place called Rancho La Puerta which is in Tecate, Mexico. And Rancho La Puerta is called a destination health spa where people go for speakers and great food and yoga. And people have been going there for 75 years. And Peter Yarrow was there, who's a dear friend of mine. And 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 one of the things about the story that's also very interesting is that I am a person, I'm so scared of everything. I mean, I go out into the world and do my life, but I am really... I have so many fears, not unreasonable, unrational fears, in fact. And Peter said to me, I'm going to go do a concert at a shelter in Tijuana. Do you want to go? And I said, without thinking, yes. And I, and, and maybe this is also about saying yes, like I did when I wrote Love Cycles. I said yes, thinking, what am I doing? But I did it. <laughs> so I went with him to Tijuana, and I had no fear. We were in the worst part of the one of the most dangerous cities in the world. I had no fear. I we got to this shelter and had a person in the front. There was several of us who went, and there was a person in the front who was a guard. And it was in one of the worst parts of Tijuana. And when I got out of the car, there was a dog, and I said, "That dog's hungry." And I followed the dog. And people were Peter. Some of our friends said, "Linda, don't go there." And I. And I, who would have been the first one in the shelter behind the armed guard, just went off with the dog. I saw there was a gang on the corner. I don't recommend this to anybody, but there was a bunch of people standing on the corner. I said to Peter, I need some money. (laughs) I just looked back at this. It all sounds so crazy. He said, what are you doing? I said, just give me some money. So he gave me $20. And I saw this guy 
who was obviously part of the gang, and I walked to him, totally unafraid. And I said, that dog's really hungry. Can I give you this money? Will you go get the dog some dog food? He said, sure. He took the money. We went into the concert. And just to finish that story, when we came out of the concert, the guard looked at me and said, what did you do with that guy? I said, why? He said, he went off and he came back with dog food. He put it all over the street. All the dogs came and ate. I mean, it was like I was in some kind of a an, a different zone, you yeah. know. And in the concert, it was a men's shelter, but it was filled with women and kids. Uh, not women. It was filled with kids and babies because a lot of the women had been murdered. They had been disappeared. Mm. Quote, that's the way. Been disappeared, meaning someone had taken them. And the, and the men were left with the kids. And a little girl came and sat next to me. Peter was performing. And I have a granddaughter that's half Hispanic, and she sort of looked like her, same age. And she sat next to me, and she didn't speak any English. She looked exactly like I would imagine a um, a, a migrant girl who had just gotten off the caravan to look. She had sort of flip flops, and clothes didn't work, and dirty fingernails. But when I looked at her face, she was she had never she had not been harmed. I looked at her and I thought, this child has been loved and protected, and some there's a story here, and I want to keep her safe. By the end of the concert, we were sitting next to each other. I had my arm around her. Her little brothers were climbing all over us. And when we, I, I, I don't even remember, I don't remember this happening as a thought. I was wearing a purple cashmere um, scarf, and when we left, I took it off and I put it around her neck and I said, I'm going to make sure you stay safe. What a thing to say. I mean, when mm. I think about that with my rational mind, what an arrogant thing to say. Like, I can keep her safe in Tijuana, but I did. And we had this moment between us where I just felt like my life had brought me to this moment to keep her safe. So I said, afterwards, I said to Peter, we have to do something. And he said, well, we can start a foundation and all I can do concerts, but don't make me go to any any of the staff meetings, any of the meetings. <laughs> I said, okay, okay. So we had some fabulous people who were from who worked at Rancho La Puerta also who agreed to be on a, on the board. And I knew nothing about what I was doing. Anyway, somehow I've learned. But what happened with the girl was, um, you want me to go on with the oh, story please, of the girl? Please, yes, I'm I'm, I'm all in. Okay, so the next morning, she and her father very, and her two little brothers very early ran, and they ran across the border. And they got picked up, and they got thrown into the streets of Tijuana. And the next day, there was a, a social worker who now works with us who was translating the concert. And I called the shelter and found that out, and I just became totally pointed on one direction one story at a time i was going to find this kid wow and you know what we did did you? we found her and i don't know how it happened with all we just we i just went through i don't know you know when it, it was like i had an energy in me that mm. was when i wrote love skills it was the same thing it just i went for it we found her we got her in a safe shelter um, the story had been that she and and her family had lived in a village in for years in Honduras, and the um, the the water started drying up from the village, and they went into they went into the forest. They'd always lived with, near the the rainforest, and the animals stayed in the rainforest, and the people in the village. The animals were starting to come into the village, wow. and they went. To the rainforest to look and see what had happened. And some of the people they knew from their small town had been cutting down the trees, lots and lots of them, enough to dry the water up. They had been poaching trees. And when they saw them, the people realized that those that, that the, the little girl's mother, her uncle, and her grandfather recognized them and shot them. And oh the grandfather and the, and the uncle died. The dad made it back and said, we've got to get out of here. The caravan was coming through. They left everything in a moment. They left their family, their animals, their world, you know, generations. Because what happens when you catch people doing that is they shoot you. And so that they arrived that day that I met the family. And, uh, and uh, 
and we we spent months with her and her family and we did keep her safe and eventually excuse me they got turned away so many times from asylum even though they had proof that if they went back they would be killed they had proof and they got rejected over and over until finally they were worn down and they did go back and i don't know what 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 happened to them we kept her safe for 7 months and um, we and she had a lot of alternatives. And she when she one of the things she said as she was leaving is I'm going to make something of my life and I'm going to look after people the way you see people oh you do God. the way you look at her. So that wow. was the launching pad is her. And I'll never forget her. And I think about her every single day. I have a picture of her on my wall. I'm happy. I know it. I'm I hate to pause the program, but I want to ask you something. Did you know that you can help me and my team at Parker Brand Creative Services grow the Find the Good News signal? For less than a fancy cup of coffee, you can become an Early Risers Club patron on our Patreon page. What's Patreon? Well, it's a way for creators to fund their projects by pooling support from those really passionate people that believe in what they're doing. Do you believe in what we're doing with Find the Good News? I hope you do. We believe that there's already enough negative news in the world even right here at home, and that good people doing good works deserve a platform to speak from too. That's why we created Find the Good News, and we believe in that simple mission. Maybe you believe in it too. If you do believe in finding and sharing good news, then head over to our Patreon page right now or check out the link in the show description. For a commitment of $3.33 a month, you can join the Early Risers Club of Find the Good News Patreon supporters and get access to the B-Sides, a patrons-only podcast with the crew behind Find the Good News, Parker Brand Creative Services. Each time we level up, the Patreon rewards will get bigger. If you're tired of old news, bad news, and fake news, help support Find the Good News at patreon.com slash findthegoodnews. That's patreon.com slash findthegoodnews. Now, back to the episode. So from that, we went to one store. We just kept finding people. I'll tell you another story. There's a a man who was a music teacher in Los Angeles, and he taught junior high orchestra, violins and cellos. And he took his kids to a Tijuana tour to sing some of the orphanages. And he saw these kids that were had had gotten out of terrible life situations their mothers had often run from cartels or trafficking and done such brave things with their kids to keep them to try to help them get a better life and he thought i'm going to come down and teach them how to play a violin or a cello and he began to drive down all of his weekends over the years i mean he came for like 12 years and eventually he started an orchestra and we have kids, some of whom have never slept on a bed, who have a, now have a violin. And then he started a second orchestra. And we, ha- we have these, these stories on our, our webpage. Um, and he is now moved down there full time. And he is giving these kids, he, he took a group of kids to Carnegie Hall. He, these kids who have had so little of in in hopefulness, some of them without even an education, um, they they play the violin in an orchestra. They go to orphanages, they go to old age homes, they go to hospitals, and they have as many of them are going to school to become teachers. So in this place where we go, which is kind of a um, oh, it's called the Barrios. There are there are these groups of of children who are practicing every day and finding in that music resilience. Anyway, I, I know we're here to talk about love skills. These are love they skills. They are love skills, yes, yes. And our website is, is justoneatatime.org with a one, just one, the number one, at a time.org. And if I just, just go on the website and check it out, read our stories. We have some fabulous things that we're doing, and it's all part of love skills, becoming more wholehearted. So much of that I connect with. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to you tell the story and it, it is such a, 
so representative of what I truly believe is is one of the most beautiful things about humanity, and that is that when we see the whole of humanity as an organism, as one organism, you know, yeah. when we have an illness, whatever that may be, whatever type of illness it is, other parts in the organism sense it and rush there like antibodies to try to heal yes. that. And, you know, you, you were talking about how that moment when you saw the dog and then you saw the girl and then how it all worked out. I feel like that is exactly what was happening on a very, I mean, I believe it's a spiritual level. I mean, there's a interconnectivity happening there and you in that moment become the antibody within the organism and this body sends you there. You know, it's like, no, this connection must happen. I just kept saying yes. I just said, yes, I'll go to Tijuana. Yes, I'm going to go off and find some food for the dog. Yes, I'm going to do something, whatever I can to look after the girl. Yes, I'm going to start a foundation. And I don't know anything. I have run a business for a lot of years, but it's a different dog, different creature. And then people just started coming. You know, we have, there's one woman who, um, who had went through a terrible divorce and lost, really lost everything and lives on a small social security uh, who sends us $5 a month, every month. I mean, that, that $5, I feel like the guardian of the jewels of the world with that $5. I am so sure that it gets spent to keep people going. And we also don't, we don't just feed them. We give them a lot of tools, education, besides the orchestra, you know, art, their art therapy, uh, because it's not, because people need to have hope. They need to find meaning and when the pandemic is over, we're going to we have something called the Resilience Project, which is helping them create meaning out of their experience and look for what's mm, next. That so it mm, there's value in that. I I hear you say that, and I go, that's the other side of suffering, right? I mean, anybody like these children and these people, what they've been through can be redemptive to a large degree for for future people. I mean, you're you're your foundation and seeing that and allowing that to happen because otherwise some that suffering may just become empty. Right. I mean, just, it's just suffering without it moving to the next stage where it's actually useful and beneficial to help really make the world better. So other people don't have to go through these things eventually. I I agree. And you know, a segue to the work I do with couples is the same thing. You know, people, have they struggle over the same fights over and over i call them infinity loops or go through some really really rough things where they want to be together but there's been a great betrayal or ongoingness of some kind of abuse or addiction or just lack of trust and hurt and wounding and how do how do or not that just sort of low grade fighting all the time that's or another another kind of painful place that people get into is none of those things living parallel lives where that sweet connection that gets us into our relationships disappears and so what do we do with that and one of the things i help people do is find meaning in that yeah to find meaning in what it is that's happened what is it that you know for example when people have repeated arguments over and over I call them infinity loops. What's really going on is usually not because one person forgot the spinach or left their clothes on the floor. It's really because something is coming up that is a deep hurt that really needs to be dealt with. That's much, I want to say much older, but it's much younger than you really are. Yeah. And, and, and so it's like how we frame what's going on is so much It has so much to do with what we do next with it. If it's just suffering and misery for for no meaning whatsoever, then it's just sort of the lost in that field of of a, a lost life or lost dreams. But if that suffering gets turned into something else, then it becomes a platform that we stand on for the next part of our relationship or our life. So, so much right there for me. And I, I, as I was reading your book, I mean, this will be a little bit of a personal confession, but, um, and, and people who listen to the show know this, I'm not going to get, go too far into it, but I, I could look at my own life and see these patterns from my past for sure. And, and my present as I was 
uh, reading this workbook. Uh, I have was previously married. I'm remarried now. I've happily remarried, but I went through a really rough marriage. You know, it was almost a decade long, and it was a lot of the things that I, I saw in this book was, oh, yeah, I definitely did that. Oh, we were definitely in this stage. There was infidelity, and that became like scar tissue, and things couldn't get over. It was like resentment. The energy of resentment kept building and building, yeah. and we kept making. So toxic. Oh, yes. it was just like a loop of exactly as you said, an infinity loop. Things would go up a, a high. A high arc might be some good times, but after years of doing that, you you I got to the point where I could expect almost like a clock the dip in that loop and where I was going, oh, we're going to go up, yeah. but here we're coming back down again. And it was almost seasonal yeah. and it was like a broken machine. It was like this, yeah. you know, metal grinding against metal. No oil changes were happening. It was just, <laughs> and as you drive a vehicle like that, you know, years go by and you're not, when you're in it, you don't, well, I didn't have this workbook in front of me. You're just in it. You're not realizing what you're doing. You're not realizing how patterns are forming, how your your behaviors are almost becoming more entrenched. And so, yeah, it became toxic and it eventually led to divorce. But you said something a second ago, and it kind of reminds me of your story of the little girl and suffering and making it redemptive. I remember... When we were in that stage, the dissolving stage, I remember the first night in my little tiny, <laughs> little tiny home after we had separated, I was sitting outside and, and I really, it was really clear to me that, okay, we've had, I've had, you know, eight and a half years of this, uh, that has sort of like been on a track and it's, you know, headed to a bad place. Well, now, now it's broke. I'm off of that, but I have children and I still have the rest of my life in front of me. I have to utilize all of that. Every bit of that. I have to use yeah. it to, to, to go on a new track and make my life better. It was really clear to me that if I was just going to do the exact same thing all over again, if I got into another relationship, then I would head down. I mean, if I didn't, if I wasn't conscious of it, I would just head right down to make, start making the same right. loops. Right. 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 Your book kind of gets into a lot of that territory and even the chemical aspects of it, which of course, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but even reflecting on that relationship and all the different times where, you know, chemical imbalances were involved or chemical spikes, yes. you know, anything on imbalance yeah. could be a spike yeah. or a dip. That affected our relationship in a lot of ways, you know, and I don't, I didn't want to pass that, that stuff on to my children, honestly, like that, those same toxic, um, cycles. Cause that does happen. And I don't I didn't want that for them. So how did you do it? Well, it How'd was, break it? <laughs> one was I, uh, I had to really analyze why I got into the relationship in the first yes. place, right? Right. That's Even, it. You got it. You know, and so that, and I mean, this is just the truth of this. Is, I'll, I'll get into a little story here, and, and you'll, I'll be interested to hear what you think about this. I always had, when I was young, I had, uh, you know, in my 20s, I come out of a family. Let me back up. I come out of a family that had a lot of turmoil. We had good times, we had bad times, but when they were bad, they were rough. Lots of, lot of hollering, lots of, there was infidelity. Uh, so when infidelity emerged again in my life, in my own relationship, I was almost, it was almost more hurtful because I swore I would never have that happen, right? Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So when it showed yes. up in my own relationship, it was like, it wasn't just broken glass. It was a fire too. You know? yeah. uh, so when I, so I had it in my mind, I was like, I'm, I'm, it was very important to me to be a good father. So I always thought more as a young man about being a father than I did about being a husband. And that was interesting when I started looking at myself, I was like, yeah, that's, that was something I didn't really put my finger on. I was more enamored with the idea of loving a child than I was with loving a spouse. And so when I met my first wife, she already had a child, a young child, a little girl. And as the years went by, I started to realize I was like, I'm not in love with her. 
at all, actually. I actually didn't get along with her very well at all, but because with her, the wife or the child, with my wife. Yeah. But I got, but I loved that child and I loved being her father. And it was like, I believe it or not, even though that great love for the child, it was what keeps you in a relationship sometimes. And I realized that I was actually building with unconsciously building a resentment towards my ex-wife when we were married, my wife at the time, because I resented her for making me miss. This is going to sound crazy. I'm just going to say <laughs> it the way my brain, the way I, under, yeah, I okay. resent you for making me miserable and keeping me trapped here because I love this child that isn't really yes. my child. So I can't take her. I can't leave and take her with me. Does this make sense? Yeah, it's a strange it little does. puzzle box. And, you know, once, you know, so there, that, that built a charge up for years and years. And so that was like an undertone of a lot of our conflict was a resentment that I didn't even really fully verbalize until, you know, getting out of the relationship. I couldn't really see it. And then when infidelity got in, injected into that relationship, it was almost like the lightning strike moment I needed to get out because it was like, oh, now I now I can now I have a reason to get out. That actually. Did you lose a child, or do you still I did. have a relationship? No, I don't. I, that 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 fellow. I mean, I had other children, which you know they're still in my life, and I they, my son lives with me. But no, my my original my stepdaughter. Uh, that relationship ultimately just it, it ended up vaporizing after the marriage dissolved, and. uh yeah, so even still to this day, that's sort of like a great pain. I mean, I will tell people that. I said, you know, I don't um, talk about it a lot, but then I'm not going to lie and say that I, every once in a while I don't go howl at the moon and, and weep over that because if she was almost like – I look at that whole relationship almost like it was a – it was a sacrifice for It was a bridge. People. Yeah. It was a bridge. It took you from one thing to another. And isn't that what all of our relationships are, really? Yeah. It's what everything is. It's a bridge from one thing to, and some people, you know, stay together for a long, long time. But in the end, every we really, only everyone leaves everyone in the end. Right. And we have just right. ourselves and, and that, and, and, and the, and those experiences, but you know what, this is exactly what we were talking about earlier, that if we make meaning out of what happens and it becomes a bridge to something else, then it's not that it was worth it. And it's not that it was okay. There are things that have happened in my life that are so painful. They'll never be okay. But the fact that meaning came out of them, it, it means that they're bearable. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think that I mean one of the cliches that I feel every when people use this I just feel crazy it makes me so upset is everything happens for a reason I I say tell <laughs> that to some woman whose kids have just been run over Thank I mean you. everything yes. <laughs> you know I just think it's like a t a tidy package but I but we but on the other hand we can make meaning out of the worst things that happen and and turn that into something else we have an we do have the choice of of it after we've dealt with the choice of it and so yeah um i you know that's a potent story and it's and love skills is about that too and it's about really it came from my own tortured early relationships and family relationships and early relationships with partners and 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 the idea that that, that my, when my husband and I got together, which was 40 years ago, we were so committed and we said, we really are in this, but we don't know how to do it because we we're both control freaks. We had had other relationships fall apart and we didn't want it to. So we just started learning skills. And I realized as I, I was a therapist then, I, I realized I was just becoming a therapist, but I realized that so many relationships fold not because people don't have love because they don't have they don't have skills yeah. that skill of not all of them some of those relationships yeah. we need to move on from but but some of the relationships that really have heart people just don't have the skill to manage the trouble that happens mm. so i became uh, very involved with learning the skills 
for my own marriage and then teaching them to my clients because they were so powerful. Um, and one of the skills I, is being able to do what you did to under, to do the reflection in yourself. Like, how did this happen? It's so easy to blame people, isn't oh, it? Sure. Blame, blame the yeah, go. It's a hundred percent their fault. And I'm the, it's the all big them. St. Oren, you know, in the story, I did no wrong. And that is not the case at all. You know? No, and if we can even get away from wrong and think, we are programmed to select partners whose way of loving is familiar to us. Mm. I was just talking to a client earlier who was in such a painful relationship, but she never got hit. She grew up in a family where she was hit. So she met this person who never physically hit her. He just made her crazy in other ways. But she's real, she said, I've just realized how many years I thought this is so much better than where I came from. But she still, it was still right. a very sad relationship. We create, we go to familiar love and we recreate the story that we knew. And it's when we become conscious about it that we're able to change it and do something different with it. Um, and, and as we do that work in our own relationships, we become more wholehearted. And I think that that is... Um, one of the things I feel really, you know, I'm in a in a real relationship. Some things don't work. We drive each other crazy. And so I used to, I remember saying in the beginning of our relationship, I remember saying to my husband, God, I'd love to be quarantined with you on a desert island. Well, guess what? <laughs> we got to do it the last four months. And it hasn't been all fun. But when I look at our lives, I think one of the things about this relationship that's so good is that we support each other doing our dreams. You know, it's it, Tim has come with me to Mexico. It's not his thing. He, he was a veterinarian for 40 years, 50 years, and he loved it. And he's a watercolor artist and he loves what I do. And he does everything to support it. Takes endless boxes of stuff to mail to Mexico and goes down there with me. But his heart's in his painting. And I, and I think his painting's great but I'm not an artist. And yet we are giving each other this incredible sort of support to, to do, to do your own, what you're here on this world, this planet to do. And I think that's what comes out of a healthy relationship too. You're not the same person and you're fanning the flames of the other person so that their soul can shine in who they are. Yeah. And see, that's a essential. I, that's my last chapter called wholehearted. To me, that was the thing that I think was probably missing the most in that first marriage was that I didn't have, and this is the truth, this sounds horrible, but I didn't have thoughts like that about my wife. I didn't have thoughts, you know, what are... Uh, what are, what is her, what are her dreams? Uh, what does she want? So what is she like? I felt, uh, on reflection, I started to realize I felt more like they were oblig, those were obligations and not desires of my own. Therefore they were forced upon me and I don't react. I know just from my childhood and, and some of that comes from childhood, having a very pushy parent that was very authoritative where you didn't talk back, you didn't have an opinion, you didn't say anything, you didn't speak up, you just kept quiet and played along, right? Yeah. Don't protest, yeah? So it built in me this natural reaction to when, when those things arise, I go, oh, I'm not this kid anymore. Now I want to protest, right? I want to have my opinion heard. Again, we're talking 20 years ago, but I uh, I could see that happening now on reflection. Again, looking back, I was like, oh, that was what I was. That was my reaction to yeah. those things was just you're forcing me to care. I know that seems so ridiculous because I want to care. I mean, who doesn't? You know, it's, I want to be a person that cares. But on reflection, it felt more like I was being forced to care. The odd thing was I didn't feel that way about the child. That was natural, you know, yes. but that relationship was like a, 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 it was just, it was just a combination of a lot of things. And, uh, you know, now in comparison to my relationship now, it was interesting going through your workbook. First of all, I got to say this, anybody that's listening, get this book because <laughs> there are questions mm. in here I've never asked myself before. I mean, and I think I'm a pretty introspective fella. I mean, you know, I'd like to think I am, 
but there were things in here that as I started going through it, I was like, wow, I really, I got to stop right here and think about this because these are questions I've never considered oh, before. Great. Yeah. You know? Great. Yeah. That yeah. there's some, it's good, yeah. real meat. I mean, it gets into deep tissue stuff in my opinion. So okay. I, w- I, 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 I actually, you, you do recommend in the book that you do it with your partner. And I know my wife hasn't done this book with me yet. And I'm actually not even finished because that was one of the things I'm guilty of sometimes with books is kind of uh, blowing through them. I make notes and then I blow through them. I get on to the next book. But with this one, I was like, no, I need to, um, I realized pretty quickly, this isn't that type of thing. You don't blow through this book. You need to sit with these questions and get real answers from yourself. And that's sometimes scary. A yeah. little bit. Well, it's scary the first level, but when you get underneath the the scary answers, you I mean, I think at, at core, we all have the same sort of delightful, soulful mm. kid before trouble started in yeah. us. And 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 we find that kid. You just it's like going going penetrating in can be rough, but what people sometimes say, I don't want to go too deep. I'm afraid of what I'll find. And often those are people that grew up feeling they were shamed. They were bad. They were, um, but, I, and I think, and that's what happens with couples in the work. And is when you start get, you know, here, I want to say something. I want to go back to something you said, what we know, if you, if you look at a continuum of couples and you have couples who thrive and couples who dive mm. and you put them on the continuum, what we find is that all of them have about 10 irresolvable issues. They'll never get fixed. They'll never be okay. They're the, they're different. Money, sex, uh, you know, kids, animals, housework, all the, those things. Those issues will never ever get to get well, I guess I say fixed. What's different about the people who thrive and the people who whose relationships dive is how they manage the conflict. Mm. So one of the most important skills we need is how to protest mm. and how to hear a partner's protest without getting defensive or making it about them and how to resolve protest. If you didn't get to protest as a kid, then you have all kinds of issues around protest, either oh, yeah. saying what you need or be told it, it, it be what what feel, somebody's saying i forgot the spinach and then you feeling like they're criticizing you yes that those and so protest when you brought that up i i just wanted to come back and say that that is such an essential skill to learn all the aspects around being the protester and hearing protest because that's what that, that's how we manage conflict is we start talking about it and we're and 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 when we're doing the mindful practices that I really so believe in, like listening rather than trying to figure out what we're going to say, we get to find out that most of those protests really come down to one thing, most of them, not all, which is, where did you go? Mm, What do you mean by that? Where did you go? You're going away this weekend again, again, what you're going away with your friends. I can't believe it. Or you're busy tomorrow or you didn't listen that what is under, not all of them, but under a lot of them is, you touched me so deeply, and now you're not there. I miss you. Mm. Under under the under complaints is a wish. Under every complaint is a wish. You never listen to me. Under that is the wish. Gosh. Not you never listen to me. That's not going to go well. But under that is, I miss you. We used to talk for hours. Yeah. But that's not often how we say it. We say it right. like... You know, you've always been such a narcissistic, blah, blah, blah. But but underneath the complaints are the wishes. And so that is that that's another thing I try. I help people learn how to talk about what they want rather than what the other person is doing wrong. Now, sometimes, you know, we do things that are wrong. You know, we rip off the retirement account and gamble the money away. That's not about a wish. It's not about childhood. That's not OK. But most of what goes on between people or a whole lot of it is really about where did you go? I miss you. Mm, I don't feel connected. That's so deeply personal listening to you say that. Uh, I just not even an hour ago had a similar conversation with my wife and I'm going to try to relay this to you without telling somebody else's business. So I'm going to do my best because it is a value. It connects to me very personally. I have a relative, I'll say it this way, a young relative who I have 
got a particular fondness of or connection with, and I've analyzed it. Why do I feel these feelings about this person? They're, they're a little more than I feel about my other young relatives. They're more, I feel a lot of sympathy and I feel a lot of understanding. And so when I see this person get angry, as opposed to maybe another relative, I tend to understand where this anger is coming from. Well, Recently, we had an opportunity to spend some more some time together, and I, as we were talking in my vehicle driving, I realized that this person was opening up into some really deep, painful things about mm-hmm. a paternal relationship. And so I listened, and, I, and, and there was a lot of weeping and a lot of pouring out. It was like a really deep confession-type moment. And I realized as in listening to this young person that what they want is what's hurting them the most. And they really weren't even they seem angry, but they're not. They're just hurt. They're wanting to know where that paternal person is beyond just being there to provide nuts and bolts living resources, not just groceries and electricity and a roof over their head. They want a bond that's not there. They're missing that Mm, and it pains them so much, but it's strange how these little linguistic things work. Cause I watched after I, after the, I watched the two people come back together within five minutes, there was an eruption. I mean, a very, very powerful eruptive fight. I mean, it was just volcanic. Wow. And it, it was triggered by, These same types of things that you just talked about, I could see in this young person, the paternal figure says, you know, says things like this, like, I'm the parent and you're the child. And I I can, in the whole way it's said, and I think that's why I relate to this child, because I go, I've heard those words before. I've felt that that feeling of you're locking me down now. You don't want to hear that I missed you. You don't want to hear that. I would just want you to hold me. You don't want to hear that. I want you to tell me just that you see me, that you're proud of me, that I, that you, you like me the way I am, not the way you want Mm -hmm. me to be, Mm -hmm. but none of that's really getting said, you know? And so that, that one phrase, I'm the parent, you're the child triggers this, this immediate mag, polar opposite magnetic repulsion out of the child, which is anger. Yeah. And so all of that confession that, that I went through that first for, for an hour or so listening, I, I watch it all just get flushed down the drain because I'm going, Oh, I can see what's happening here. This, the adult is not seeing that. They're not, they're not hearing that at all. And the child is so sick of it that they don't want to share it. So they just share their anger and it becomes protest, but not a good protest. Right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, all of that stuff you were just saying, I was like, man, I just went through observing this and it pains me because (laughs) I mean, you have to have reading your book was very clear to me. As I was going through it, I was like, Oh, I need to have me and my wife need to do this together. I kept thinking that over and over because if only one person is doing it on one side, what happens? I mean, how do you get to that point? Cause you even said that in the book, like you don't want the other person, like if potentially like even this child says, Hey, Hey parent, I think we should do this book together. I think it would heal our relationship. Sometimes that other person sees it as an attack on them. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to be really careful though. I, in the book, I said, do not make this another power struggle. Right. You know, some people, they get a lot from these kind of talks or pods or, or books on self-help. Other people run the other way, yeah. and often they're together. If you work on yourself, you're going to get better, more whole, more conscious. The relationship is going to do what it's due. Sometimes the other person sees that happening, and they want in. Other times, it separates you further. But we're not in charge of what anybody else does as right. much as we want to be. I yeah. certainly want to be in charge of everyone, but I'm not. <laughs> and so all I can do is work on my own self. So what I say to people is don't, if your partner doesn't want to do this, do it yourself. Yeah. It's okay, you know, because you're just going to get healthier and more mindful. If I become a better listener and you don't, then I, I don't know what that means, but it's gonna, it will make all of my life better to become more whole. And I'm happy, 
This episode's Fishing for Goodies Fishbowl sponsor is Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center in Sulphur, Louisiana. I don't know what you look for when you travel, but one of the things I look for when I'm putting together my itinerary is a unique museum or gallery in the city I'm traveling to. I do this almost every time I go to a new city, but if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of not always doing that very thing right here at home in Sulphur, Louisiana. That's really a shame because we have one of the most interesting, historically relevant, and culturally rich corners in any city in the country about two minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking about the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center. Have you ever really thought about why our city is named Sulphur? They've got a permanent exhibit on the history of the sulphur industry that answers that simple question and more. You really get a full scope of just how important the sulphur mining industry was to the development of Southwest Louisiana and the impact it had on the rest of the world. Yes, the rest of the world. On the same property, right next door to the museum, is the Henning Cultural Center, presenting some of the most interesting, modern, and culturally relevant local art shows I've ever seen. My dear friend Tom Trahan and the Brimstone Historical Society have really worked hard to give us this treasure, and it's a multifaceted jewel that I plan to take advantage of more often. You don't have to wonder what their hours are, or how to get there, or what shows are coming up. Just go to brimstonemuseum.org, like I did, and subscribe to their mailing list right there on the homepage. That's brimstonemuseum.org. Tom will make sure you start getting the announcements for each and every new show at the gallery. But you don't have to wait for the mail to arrive to enjoy this historical local treasure. You don't have to be guilty, like me, of overlooking a local wonder that conveniently sits next to the Grove, one of the most beautiful walking parks in southwest Louisiana. Drop in and say hi to Tom for me. Tour the museum and center, and make sure to tell Tom that you heard about Brimstone Museum on Find the Good News. Now, let's take that dive in the fishbowl. Let's do let's do a quick fishbowl question. We may not get to okay. three, and then we'll get out of this. But uh, I do appreciate this. this. was a good conversation. I, I can't wait so to much. share Me it. Me too. Me too. Okay, so this is a real nice and happy fishbowl question. Uh, describe your ideal weekend. Oh, my ideal weekend is being at Rancho La Puerta, which is my favorite place in the world, with my dog and my partner or, uh, or a bunch of my family and friends and just walking around that beautiful, beautiful part of Tecate, Mexico that I love so much. Just with people I love, just hanging out, looking at the flowers and the creatures in the mountain in the background. Ah, that sounds nice. That's, that's, that sounds like an environment that I would love. Well, this, this next question I have kind of leads right into that one. Things that you're grateful for right now in this moment. I'm grateful that I have done all the work I've done on myself so that I know how to be with me in a way that feels like what I'm supporting and, and nurturing in myself is really who I am, not who I am in, in reaction to or who I was told I was. I like that. took that. a lot of years. Yeah. Yeah. Not living into like a, a preordained fantasy about ourselves or what we've been told we are, a narrative that's not really true. I, I've done that's that right. as well. This is a real simple question. I hope, you, I hope you'll be able to answer it quickly because I think this this is a good one if you can. What's the best compliment that you've ever received? Uh, well, I, ha I, I don't know. I've gotten a lot. Oh, I've gotten. So, I mean, I've had the best compliment I've gotten is when people believe that I have a capacity to do something. Not when they tell me how great I am. You know, people project that all over people who write books or there. But somebody who says to me, you know what, I, you can do this. And that is the most affirmative that I, that I feel. Yeah. I love that mode. Yeah. That's great. Exactly. And I'll tell you one more. I got a call. I got a call last week and it was from a client I hadn't seen in 20 years wow. and she didn't leave her phone number, which I was grateful for because I, you know, as a therapist, it's a weird relationship, but she called, she said, I haven't seen you for 20 years. She said, I'm living back East now. And I just want to call and tell you that those years we spent doing the work really changed my life. And I'm so thankful. And that was, it was oh, her yeah. work, but that was so, that felt so great. That yeah. just came in. That was, 
them. So as therapists, we don't get to follow our clients and say what happened. So yeah. that was wonderful. So thank you so much for this has been a fabulous hour. Yes, thank you yeah. too. The book is Love Skills by Linda Carroll. Get it, do it with somebody you love. I'm more thankful every moment that I found. Thanks for listening to my Beacon Series conversation with Linda Carroll. If you'd like to experience Linda's book, Love Skills, make sure to visit the links in the show notes. If you found something of use in this conversation, consider helping me spread the good news by supporting Find the Good News at patreon.com slash findthegoodnews. I thank you for pressing play and for syncing up with this good news signal.